So you're a lifelong Burkinia. You're one of those who complains that there's nothing new to do in town and you've done everything and know everything there is to know about the 505. On today's guest bet, she knows something that you don't. It was just really fascinating for me to learn about that we have come so close to complete and utter destruction through these incidents. Crack open the books by today's literary interviewee and you'll probably find many of the 100 things to do and the secrets Albuquerque has been hiding that you don't know about. And it's time you discover them, all of them. What's up, ABQ? Brian and Lindsay are going to tell you. What's up, Albuquerque? This is Lindsay. And this is Ryan. And this is season two of What's Up, ABQ. Welcome back to another episode of What's Up, ABQ. I'm Ryan. And I'm Lindsay. And today we have Ashley Biggers. So, Ashley, we have a book sitting in front of us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this book and why it is important and significant to you? Sure. So, my newest book is Secret Albuquerque, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. And this is actually my third book, but I was really excited to write this book because even as a native Albuquerquean, it gave me an opportunity to kind of peel back another layer of the city's history and get to know my hometown even better. So, I want to know is what led up to this book? Um, So, I am... As I mentioned, a multi-time author. So the first book was 100 Things to Do in Albuquerque Before You Die. And that book is a collection of those sort of like top tier. It definitely has some marquee destinations in there. And I wanted to include a few off the beaten path places as well. Um, But this book is a lot more of the obscure and lesser known destinations. So all of those outtakes from 100 Things to Do in Albuquerque that were just a little too odd found a home in this book, Secret Albuquerque. Follow up question is, how do you find these places? That's a great question. So as a travel journalist, I um, write about Albuquerque frequently, and I spend a lot of my time, you know, interviewing and talking to people here. So I do sort of have a working list in my head of things that are of interest. But one thing that I also did in this book was everybody I spoke to, I asked, where else should I include? Um, And so they gave me a lot of great ideas, and I discovered a lot of items that I didn't know about before and wouldn't have discovered if I didn't have these great tips by locals to start following up on. So you had mentioned obviously that you're a travel journalist. Tell us a little bit about how you decided on that career path, how you got here, how you arrived to, hey, I think I want to do journalism and more specifically I want to talk about Albuquerque. Yeah, so I am one of those really annoying kids who knew that I wanted to be a writer when I was five years old. Um, Now of course my parents had different ideas in mind because they wanted me me to be a productive member of society and be a a doctor Writers are productive <laughs> members of... You get society from literature. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> they had ideas of me being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer in mind. So um, it did take me a little while to sort of arrive at journalism. But I was all on my high school paper and studied communications in college and earned a master's degree in mass communication. So it was always there with me. In terms of discovering travel writing as an emphasis, um, I actually was able to take a trip with my high school um, to France. I studied French in language in high school and 
it really opened up the whole world to me and gave me a way to discover more about people and culture and history. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could combine these two things? So I was lucky enough to do that. And I have been a freelance journalist for about six years now, pursuing primarily travel, but also art and culture and wellness. I feel like, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the golden age of like travel writing. It was, I mean, I feel like that was gone and passed. So what, what is that like today? Well, it's interesting you asked that question um, in the age of COVID because <laughs> the, the right. state of travel writing right at the moment is non-existent. So it's like living so, in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, exactly. I shall travel to my backyard right. today. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> someone please commission me to write that story. Yes. Um, uh, so I think there was definitely a golden age of travel writing and travel writing, just like any other media today, yeah. is changing very, very quickly. But I think there are definitely still wonderful outlets out there that are trying to tell the deeper stories of traveling, which is really about telling the story of people and humanity through the lens of destinations or food or cultural traditions and so that's really what I try to highlight in my work and I do recognize that getting to be a travel writer is a very fortunate thing it's not all glamorous but um, there are a lot of really good things about it but travel really is a luxury and so what I love about books like 100 Things to Do in Albuquerque Before You Die and Secret Albuquerque is that they allow us to have that sense of travel and that sense of discovery at home in our very own hometowns. What kind of things would you tell somebody who's never been to Albuquerque? They know nothing about Albuquerque. What are some highlights? What are some things that you think they absolutely should know before they know anything else? So the first thing that I would tell people about Albuquerque if they hadn't been here before is to set aside all of your preconceived notions. I think people get a lot of ideas about what Albuquerque is like from the news stories they hear about us or from watching Breaking Bad Always. or... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody playing along at home, take a shot. Um, so I would just first of all tell them to set aside whatever sort of preconceived notions they have about this city and really be open to experiencing this place and all that it has to offer. I think, you know, getting outdoors in our city is really an important part of our local culture and appreciating the arts scene is really important and um, appreciating our local food is, of course, very important and not just our chili, but our farm-to-table <laughs> cuisine right. as well, our Rio Grande cuisine. So, favorite place to go in town Just I mean, that, that you've discovered? That I've discovered in secret Albuquerque? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's really hard. That's like asking me to pick my favorite <laughs> child or my, right. my favorite Tom, dog. Depends on <laughs> Exactly, stars. depends on what mood that I am in. <laughs> so one of the really interesting and kind of obscure places that I um, hadn't known about before writing Secret Albuquerque was a place called Glass Gardens. Um, so this is a place in the Bosque that during the 30s and 40s was actually a city dump. And so people would just go and dump all their refuse there. But over the years, you know, things have disintegrated or blown away. And sure. so all that remains today is just this collection of three acres about of just glittering glass on the floor of the bosque. And so it's a really neat place to go and be outside and think about Albuquerque's past, but also to think about how our conception of how we treat the bosque has changed over the years, right? Because in the 30s and 40s, it was a dumping ground. And today we treat it as one of the best assets of our city 
city and something to be protected and valued, which I believe that it should very much be. Um, so it's interesting to think about sort of that evolution in our thinking over the years. And that was a place that actually, looking in your book, I didn't know about, and I've never been. So I'm going to add that to my list of places I to check out. That's a feat because I feel like Lindsay knows everything. So <laughs> I feel like that's a win. I'm really proud of that one. <laughs> so, so congratulations. <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't know anything about it. I'm fascinated. So I'm really excited to go check it out. It's, it's really cool. And I think that's the thing we were sort of talking off mic before we started recording about how people can live in the city for a long time and they can think they know everything or they can say, oh, there's nothing to do here. We've all heard the narrative, you know, there's nothing to do in Albuquerque. It's so boring here. So it's very exciting to me that having lived here for over a decade, I can still discover something new. So tell me a little bit about the history of Albuquerque and what what you discovered on your journey to writing this book. So that's something that I actually encounter frequently, especially in releasing a book like 100 Things to Do in Albuquerque Before You Die. People would come up to my ta- you know, author signing table and say, I've lived here my entire life. I've done everything there is to do. And they'd pick up the book and they would have done like 30 of the 100 things that I talk about. Um, so I really encourage people to like not just fall upon the routines that we get in and the habits we get in of our daily lives, but to really go um, and live in Albuquerque and discover all the wonderful things that it has in store. I think what a lot of people don't know about Albuquerque is really the importance of our rail yards history. So um, that's one element that I hope stands out in the book through some of the storytelling I do about the Wheels Museum and the restoration of a rail engine, um, 2926. Um, So the the rail yards in Albuquerque were really um, sort of one of the biggest stations between Chicago and LA for um, the rail industry and it really was one of the things that was really responsible for building up the population in Albuquerque during the 1920s and one of the things that really made Albuquerque the city that it is today and something that people may not know is that that rail yard could have easily been located in like Bernalillo or Las Lunas and just through a chance of um, being able to find affordable real estate here in Albuquerque, they located it here and that's one of the things that's responsible for Albuquerque booming and not Bernalillo booming or Las Lunas booming. I think I had heard that story. It was like it was supposed to be in Berlin or they had tried to put it somewhere else and they were like, no, we don't want it. And it was like, had that happened, Berlin would have been what Albuquerque is, Absolutely. which is crazy to think about. I mean, we don't really take that into consideration when we look at our city today. So like in an alternate history, it's what's up Berlin? I guess. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it must be. Like, I, I guess so, for sure. If you're going to go down the science nerd route, go ahead. Well, that's kind of where I live, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> So is there something that you learned about Albuquerque or New Mexico that is just absolutely bizarre that kind of just blew your mind and you were like, what on God's green earth? <laughs> so um, there were actually a few of those. Okay. Um, but one one thing that came to mind was the broken arrows. So broken arrows are actually nuclear weapons that have been dropped that don't lead to any sort of military conflict. So they're kind of just accidental drops. And sometimes they do have, you know, that nuclear capsule that makes a nuclear explosion and sometimes they're empty. So it just so happens that Albuquerque had a broken arrow in 1957. <laughs> oh. Luckily there was no um, nuclear explosion associated. It was just the regular bomb capsule that went off. But it was just uh, really fascinating for me to learn about that we have come, you know, so close to complete and utter destruction um, through these incidents. (laughs) Exactly. I know, that's a little 
terrifying if you think right. you're like, well, none of this would have been here. Right. So that was definitely one of the more alarming discoveries right. yeah. that I made. And then there are, you know, other things connected to Albuquerque's sort of atomic history, um, which I had known about the spy house previously, but this book gave me an opportunity to highlight it. So actually one of the biggest incidents of atomic espionage occurred here, right here in Albuquerque when David Greenglass passed drawings of uh, the nuclear weapon that he had been working on in Los Alamos to a Russian spy at a house that is now a bed and breakfast here in Albuquerque. And you can actually go stay in the room where David Greenglass and his wife, Ruth Greenglass, lived. And um, it sort of it's been very well maintained and kept as they once had it. The only advent is that now they, you know, have a dedicated bathroom, um, which we all which we all appreciate. Yes, and one of the one of the details that I discovered that I loved was, of course, we can't prove this, but it has been reported that Ruth took part of those um, funds that she got from the Russians for her husband selling these drawings and invested in war bonds. So I thought that was very <laughs> interesting choice, right? It's like she's maybe, doing she's maybe doing, some guilt involved. She's doing her patriotic duty to buy the war bonds. She's like, Look, with here's what the money. I did, but I'm also gonna put my money over here, so please don't get mad. Exactly. <laughs> so I'd so love funny. to know more about like how that life choice got made. The but, psychology right. behind that right, decision. Exactly. Right. No, that's my husband actually lived in some apartments right across from that house. So it's interesting because I didn't know the history and I drive by there every day and I'm like, Oh, that's a cute little bed and breakfast and then you learn about it and you're like, Okay, like wow. <laughs> I had no idea. I just look at this every day. And I think there's a lot of places like that where just exist in our city. We walk by them every day. We don't pay them any mind. And then come to find out there's this amazing history attached to them. Um, I was reading the part about the first solar building in Albuquerque. I had no idea. Um, That's incredible. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Because so, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is a great one because I was actually, um, this past week I was out sort of driving around doing some promotional stuff for the book with my husband and I was like, oh yeah, and this is the first commercial solar building in the entire world. And he was like, what the what? Like, <laughs> right, that's my response exactly. It just looks like a completely, you know, nondescript building that you would just drive by and have, you know, never think another thought. But this was actually um, a destination that modern Albuquerque which is an organization that kind of does a lot of um, architectural history and exploring in terms of documenting Albuquerque's modern architecture. Because one thing we think of um, when we think of Southwestern architecture, we immediately think Adobe. But one interesting thing about Albuquerque was that it really boomed after the World War II in our atomic history. And so we have a lot of modern architecture here. And so the solar building was sort of a development of that time period. And it used, you know, it was the first commercial solar building in the world and they pumped water through um, sort of pipes on the roof and used that water heated water to heat the entire building and it is no all the panels are covered up so you can't even really tell that that's what it once was but it was really groundbreaking at that time when it was featured in Life magazine and Smithsonian and all those places and of course at that time the tone was what is this new discovery in the world and now um, and now we really um, think of solar and associate it with 
with the Southwest. I feel like oftentimes there can be a preconceived notion about what's historic. And you think of like colonial buildings and you think of pillars. And how can people kind of break that stereotype in their mind when they're rediscovering their own neighborhoods? I think that's a great question. I mean, I think there's things that are, you know, historically significant from hundreds of years ago. But then there's more recent histories that I think we need to take note of, too. I think a great example of that is the Painted Lady Bed and Brew, which uh, Jesse Heron of Albuquerque Tourism and Sightseeing Factory bought and lovingly restored. Um, And it was actually a former brothel that sat right across the street from um, one of Albuquerque's sawmills. And um, it operated as a brothel for quite some time. We think even after it was illegal to operate as a brothel. But but Jesse um, bought and restored this building and then turned it into the state's first bed and brew. So instead of having your breakfast, you get an evening beer as part of your stay. And so I think that's a piece of history that he created in this already historic building. And so I love that the building has this great history, but also he's making new history by the way he's reinventing that property. Yeah, and we we had him on before. He was great. It was a lot of fun. Albuquerque, if you want to go listen, it's one of our back episodes, uh, season one, and we did an interview with Jesse and the history of the building, and it's a lot to get into. It literally took an entire episode, is incredible. And it just, it's a great Albuquerque story. And I'm, I actually still want to stay there at some point, just even though I'm local, I'm like, yeah, I want to go drink your beer and stay in your bed and brew. Sounds awesome. So, absolutely. That is totally staycation territory. That's what I'm talking about. I know. When this is all blowing over, like, you can find us there. So, you know, and there's some other cultural things that I kind of wanted to touch on from your book. The Nexus Brewery Smokehouse, I thought that history of that building was really interesting. I had no idea. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I know that a lot of people just see it as like, oh, Nexus Brewing, it's great beer, it's great food. But this is a whole other ballgame. This is incredible. Lindsay's been hogging the book, I just want to say. I haven't even been able to look at it yet. And I want to, because I like going to Nexus. It's like, wait, stuff happened there? I want to know. Yeah, so um, Nexus is another place that had... (laughs) That had sort of a former life. So the Navajo Elks Lodge, which has more to do with the place, not necessarily the culture of the Navajo, because it was actually largely an African-American organization and um, social fraternity and community service organization. So they used to be located out of this building. And one thing that they would really do is they would have social gatherings on a weekly basis during the 60s and 70s, during a time when African-American people couldn't really gather socially in other places in the city. And so this was really the hub, the destination that they came to where they really had a home and could socialize with each other during that time. And when they were looking to sort of redevelop that building, the new owner of Nexus wanted to make sure that that building was able to stay in the community and continue to be a destination. And so although today it's a brewery and a smokehouse, it has this great tradition of being an African-American destination in the city and one of the Elks, Johnny Goodwin, who was part of that tradition, still works at Nexus's original location today and so you can go and talk to Johnny when you go and have your red chili ribs. <laughs> so it's, it's not only history but it's still living history. Absolutely. And he's he's a great gentleman, that Johnny. So if you want to find them, you can go to 1511 Broadway Boulevard Southeast. I'm just I'm It's really good. My wife and I have been there a couple times and it's, it's really good. <laughs> red chili ribs. Like, do you have to say anything else? Is there anything else you need to know? <laughs> uh, well, we're at about our halfway point, so we will take a quick break, and we'll be right back. 
What's Up ABQ is supported by Daisy Sticker Company, fun stickers for affordable prices. Daisy Sticker Company is completely local and can design your ideas from scratch at a better cost than you can find practically anywhere. Get your business, group, or team on a decal, cup, pop socket, and business card. Contact Daisy Sticker on Facebook and Instagram at daisy.sticker.co and they'll work with your logo or design something custom made for you. They even created the What's Up ABQ sticker. Daisy Sticker Company. Cool stickers. Cool prices. Supporters of What's Up ABQ. And we're back. And uh, today we have with us Ashley Biggers, author of Secret Albuquerque. <laughs> we both we My both po- we both poked our phones at each other. So, so. Okay, so we are sitting here and we are talking about the book Secret Albuquerque, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure places in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There are a lot of places that we constantly walk by. We kind of touched on this in the first the first part of the episode. I would like to know a little bit of the history of the Bank West Building. We drive by that giant golden beacon on Central all the time. I know I have heard so many people say huh I wonder why (laughs) so please if you'd be so kind can you tell us why why the gold what's the history kind of what's the deal with the Golden West building because I know that I'm not the only one that feels this way so yeah so this is another sort of advent of Albuquerque's modern architectural history and it was developed in a time when it was the tallest building in Albuquerque the first skyscraper in the city and um, at the time that it was being built it was actually such an oddity and that people would drive by so slowly to look at this towering new building that they would slow down and cause traffic accidents. And so they had to start doing this thing mm, where, they, I know, it sounds so <laughs> weird. We've changed. <laughs> it's a tradition in Albuquerque. Right. So they would have to start putting the numbers of the floors that they were on as they gradually built up to 17 so people could know how much progress they were being made, that was being made in the construction process. And this is actually one of what was built as twin buildings so it used to have a companion in Phoenix that has since been completely remodeled and doesn't look anything like the original edition but the advent of adding the gold panels to the outside was supposed to be a move towards a new southwestern style of architecture and also do a lot of you know reflecting of the sun off of the building but it has thousands of these gold panels on the outside still today. We plumbed well You've plumbed the the depths of Albuquerque's history, and you know, oftentimes we we can look back on history and hopefully learn something to look at where we're going in the future. Barring COVID, barring the event, the Great Karen, where do you see us going in the future based on our history? Oh, that's a that's a fantastic question. I think Albuquerque has proven throughout its history, whether we're talking about the rail yards or its atomic history, that it's really a place of reinvention and that possibilities are really endless here. This is something that I talk about with other artists in the community. It's like the feeling that possibilities are endless, but resources are maybe a little limited. And so it falls upon us to create that reinvention. And so I think that's really the impetus for us as individuals as well. We can make it into anything we want, but we have to do the work to make it happen. So we've all, again, heard the narrative of New Mexico has so much crime, New Mexico's terrible, blah, 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 blah. I think we're coming out of that. I'm hoping we are. I'm, I'm confident that we are. We are okay. announcing it now. We are announcing <laughs> it. We are out of that, New Mexico. Leave it alone. You obviously, being a travel writer, could have gone anywhere, done anything. 
Why stay in Albuquerque? Why stay here? So I grew up in Albuquerque. I went to college and graduate school and lived out of state and worked other places because I did experience that thing that many high schoolers do no matter where they grow up. Of so I, it's so much better everywhere else. I have to get out of here. So the grass I, is greener. They have grass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so so I, de- I know, right? <laughs> so I definitely did do my exploring and I've traveled to, you know, almost 40 states and almost 20 countries. But the more that I travel and the more that I experience in the world, I discover that there's no place like home because there's no place like New Mexico. It really is a unique destination. And this is the place where I feel like is my soul place. So while I've connected to other places and enjoyed visiting them, um, I think there's a deeper connection here in New Mexico and in Albuquerque in particular that I have anywhere else. And I love that I can really you know, dig in here and try to highlight all the great things about Albuquerque because I think there is sometimes an overemphasis on our crime and issues that we're facing. And I'm not saying those aren't important to talk about and to face and to address head on. But I do think there's a balance because I think people forget the good things about our city in light of all those other things happening. And I like to, in my author talks and um, in my conversations, in the community remind people of the resources and the good things that we have here too. So if someone's wanting to kind of re-explore their own neighborhood, how do they start? What do they do? I mean, I think my books are a great place to start with 100 Things to Do in Albuquerque Before You Die and Secret Albuquerque. You have 90 different ways to explore Albuquerque. But also, I would just, without buying those books, because I realize that not everybody can do that, I would just challenge yourself to go to restaurants that you haven't been to before or patronize a local store that you haven't visited before or just go on a walk and walk down new roads in your neighborhood or, you know, Google a building that has a cultural, you know, significant landmark sign on the outside and just learn more about it. I mean, there's tons of information available and tons of ways that you can really challenge yourself to rediscover the places that you live right next door to. And where can people get your books? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yes, yes. So I love to support our local bookstores. So it's available at Page One and Bookworks and Organic Books and Treasure House Books. And you can also go on my website at ashleyimbiggers.com slash shop. Buy it there. Kind of jumping back a little bit because I forgot and then I came back just popped I know I know and I've had enough caffeine today so you would think this wouldn't be a problem but it is <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and blame COVID for everything right, from now we're, on we're so. blame Karen for this one yeah thanks Karen favorite places in Albuquerque to eat do you have a favorite restaurant a favorite neighborhood local store that you like what are your favorites so um, I know that you guys often ask people their favorite place to eat chili. So I, my favorite place is my husband's chili that he makes in our kitchen. But if I'm going never to... Never say no. <laughs> I always say not grandma's house. Never yeah, said no yeah he makes, he makes well mean red, red chili. <laughs> but if I'm going to go out, I love to go to Casa de Benavides to eat dinner. Um, I think they have a great menu and I just love sitting outside on their patio, which is this is a great patio time of year and life right now so absolutely I love to go there Um, I love just to go shopping in Knob Hill and just browse all of the shops there Albuquerque Retail Therapy has some great local New Mexico shirts that I'm obsessed with and have an embarrassing large collection of Um, nothing to be so that's a great place to go as well okay so you kind of brought it up it's the first time that someone's like 
sort of beat me to the punch, so I'm like taking it back. <laughs> well, she is a journalist. <laughs> no, you. And she did a he did a research, which is like <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> okay, like, right. Like to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, you were red or green. What are we eating? Ooh. Touche. Okay. Um, enchiladas. Enchiladas. Uh, red. Red. Okay. Um, so papillas, stuffed so papillas? Green. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bre- breakfast burrito. Green. <laughs> We're just like... Good call. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, a shakedown? No, like, this is I have point. to decide based on what I'm eating and like also kind of that place because some places I feel like have better red or green. Yeah. So I'm like very particular. <laughs> like whenever I go to Santa Fe, it needs to be red, you know? But That's down here, green. Northern New Mexican yeah. choice, I feel like. And that was actually my other question was in Northern New Mexico, because you've done a lot of traveling, do you have a favorite spot up there? Because I know that for me, it, it varies. Like Albuquerque, I have my spots, but New Mexico, like as a whole, if we're going northern New Mexico, I'm like, okay, that's a whole different thing. Go to Las Vegas and go to Charlie's. Mm, Charlie's yes. Spickens Van. Charlie's Spickens mm. Van is okay. I get right in on. trouble if I'm traveling through Las Vegas and I don't stop at Charlie's yeah. to get tortillas. No, it's because the best. they are it's just the incredible. Like I, I will like go in and be like, I need six dozen tortillas. How many like, tortillas do you have? I used to intern at this camp in the mountains up there, and nothing is better than like being stuck up at camp in the mountains for like a summer and coming down and getting Charlie's. Oh my god! Well, everything tastes better when you've been at camp all summer, and then, and then Charlie's. to have yes. Charlie's. Yes. So here's what I want to do at some point because Las Vegas, New Mexico, since we're talking attractions, has the only drive-in theater right now. Yeah. I would like to go up, get takeout. Out from Charlie's for dinner and then go to a drive-in movie like that's that's on my list of like this summer gonna happen yes. that sounds like a perfect night and maybe some Santa Fe brewing like social yeah. hour because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a really good summer beer very drinkable I think I think I have a plan yeah. for me here so let me know when you go <laughs> you're not invited well, I'm gonna come anyways <laughs> I'm gonna come anyways I'm inviting myself so one of the other places I love in northern New Mexico that's kind of destination dining is to go to Rancho de Chimayo because they just have such a long and storied history of cooking great New Mexican food and the drive to get there is just spectacularly beautiful as well and so um, that is a place where I will go just to have dinner even though it takes an hour and a half to get there worth it it. okay so I have I have one more question for you you have 24 hours in Albuquerque it's a layover situation 24 hours what do you do have you essential New Mexico Central New Mexico is ideal weather. Ideal weather, yes. Patio weather, Okay, I would definitely go down to El Vado and check out the many restaurants that they have there and their local shops. And then I would go for a walk along the bosque because I think that's essential sort of exploring. I would also go out to the petroglyphs to do a little hike out there because I think that gives you a good grounding in a little bit of Albuquerque's Native American and ancient history. I'm trying to think what else. Sorry, that's so hard. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's really hard. Sorry, not um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think I would probably either spend some time at the National Hispanic Cultural Center, going to the Visual Arts Museum there um, to see, you know, our New Mexican artists and the tradition of Hispanic art that, you know, transcends our small state. So that would, that would be a pretty good start I to your day. I hope if you're going to the Cultural Center that there's a Pop Fizz ice cream taco in there somewhere. Oh, for sure. Okay. 
just got to clear that up because that's yes that's the driving force behind like for that i'm like a food person and so i'm like but is there really good food there like i'll go but like what's the food like like? can i get a mexican (laughs) chocolate paleta while i'm there can i get a paleta and a beer (laughs) but can i also get an ice cream taco thanks those are all the essential food groups so yeah (laughs) yeah ice cream tacos are at the top of the pyramid for me that should go without saying i mean you know okay so 24 hours in albuquerque that's i think that's a good 24 hours i think that is essential i like that on a kind of a a different track one of the things i've been doing as as i because i moved back here last summer um from from missouri and i'm trying to re kind of explore like the literary community here in town so and i know that there's a lot of writers here in town so for for writers who are looking for inspiration maybe on on a literary track in albuquerque or new mexico are there resources or places that you would recommend a few ideas so first of all i would definitely check out bookworks calendar of events because they have just dozens of author talks every year and um, they bring in some incredible authors both locally and nationally to get a great dose of inspiration there. Um, I would check out the Tanix as well because they are developing a really good program not only to sort of workshop stories and write pieces of writing but also do sort of author talks and presentations and then also I would check out the local group Coffee and Creatives um, which is put together by, I think it's like four individuals now, that just bring together the creative community. And so that's not exclusively for writers, but I think as a writer, I find great inspiration and a home there. And it's, you know, to work on everything from the lead of your story to getting funding for your next project. And you know, all those sorts of problem solving that goes on there is fair game. And I think it's just great to know how many creative people there are in our community and feel that camaraderie and that kinship with them and that they're there for support. One other group that I would check out is um, called Plot Duckies. So this is an organization that kind of does different workshops and they can do them for you know writers or just people who are trying to find that sort of creative inspiration and they do NaNoWriMo workshops and groups every year and yeah we're like what is okay. this even <laughs> um so that would be another resource that I would point writers to and I'm sure you know this but you know one of the things Stephen King says on his book on writing is your, your, your best PR is your next book do you have any ideas on what your next book is are you allowed to talk about it right oh, yeah <laughs> right so um, that's also my publisher's favorite question is oh, wow. <laughs> what's your next book? So um, I ha- I definitely have a few ideas about what a next book could be. Something that I discovered in the book writing process, which I had no idea about as a first-time author, is that actually marketing and publicizing a book is as much work, if not more, than actually writing the book. So I need to give myself a little breathing room on uh, talking about Secret Albuquerque and making sure everybody knows about that before I really dive into my next book project. That's fair. And again, where can people get the book if they're interested? They want to read it, they want to check it out. Where can they go? So if you don't want to buy the book, the library will have it. So as we're able to start checking out books again in these uh, days of COVID, um, and it's also available at Bookworks, Page One, Organic Books, Treasure House Books, and AshleyMBiggers.com slash shop. 
Is there anything else that you want to share that you found astounding about Albuquerque that you didn't know before, or anything on the writing process? Tidbit, a gem. <laughs> Rule of wisdom. Tidbit, a gem. So I have to confess that this uh, writing process did not go as planned. I had a very organized calendar of when I was going to get everything done, and that just didn't happen with life going the way it did. So shout out to Little Bear Coffee for keeping me caffeinated as I worked until they literally kicked me out every night um, in the month before I had to turn this book in. I think we need to just say thank you to Little Bear because a lot of the people we interview on here, it's like they are integrate. I can't talk ingrained into individual stories all over the place. Yeah. Like we keep, yeah. they keep coming up. So thank you, Little Bear, for everything you do for our community, big and small. Yeah, I was actually like, should I put that in the acknowledgements of my book? Like, <laughs> thank you for all the internet and refills and space and to write and not looking at me weird when I came in wearing like the same pants three days in a row that I like. I, thought you could I feel spot. like I should pay you rent. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. I live here now, so. <laughs> so that's how you can you can spot the writer, you know, they have a look to them. Exactly. Well, it was so funny going because my graduate school, my communications program, you know, I was in this program with like the broadcast people who looked like at any given time they were ready to go live on CNN right. and hair, with the perfect everything. hair and makeup and that outfit, and then so and then the writers would look like all pasty and like we just crawled out from under a rock and we're like, okay, we're here. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I. Should <laughs> exactly. Like this, this is the writer's life. It's very glamorous, guys. <laughs> so if you're thinking about becoming a writer, just heed, heed this warning. <laughs> no, you're getting into it. Well, thanks so much for being on. Um, I look forward to checking out your book because Lindsay took it first. So <laughs> Here, I'm physically giving it to him now. Okay. It's on the record. Now, now I have it, and I'm going to read it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks Great. so much, Ashley, for being with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And all that you all do to highlight Albuquerque's great businesses. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Up ABQ, the podcast about all the great things, people, and places in the Duke City. Every week, we introduce you to local businesses and establishments that we hope you'll continue to support during this weird time of social distancing. If you would like to be featured on a future episode, contact us at abqwhatsup at gmail.com or visit whatsupabq.com. What's Up ABQ is part of the Borellus Podcasters Guild and is produced by Ryan Freeman and Lindsay Dominguez with post-production by Paul Nixon at paulnixonvo.com. Support local businesses you hear about on this podcast. Let us know about other ones we should feature and leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening to What's Up ABQ and we'll talk to you next week.